Now direct your attention to the Word of the Lord. By the way, welcome. Glad to see each one of you this morning. Beautiful day. And the Lord said to sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and he grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink with his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took of the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was kindled greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you've taken his wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before you and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did this secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me say right off the bat that this is a passage of mercy and grace beyond measure. And it's found in that very first phrase. Chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. That's God's grace right there. It had been about a year since David had committed his great sin. He thought he got away with it. He had done it secretly. He had seen Bathsheba. He had asked about her. He had brought her into himself. They had had relations. She had become pregnant. He quickly had her husband sent to a strategic place on the front line of battle against the Ammonites near the modern city of Ammon, Jordan. And there, in a, in a battle, Uriah 
Bathsheba's husband was slain. And soon as he died, seven days of mourning, Bathsheba then was brought to David and she came to him. And they became husband and wife. And time had passed. The Ammonite battles had been fought. Uriah's memory was honored as a great and valiant soldier, but had strategically dealt foolishly on the battlefield, which had been ordered by Joab to do, which David had ordered Joab to do it. This honorable man's memory was fading, and David thought he had gotten away with his sin. What was his sin? Well, last week when we talked about the temptation to sin, we talked about lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin brings forth death. David broke, by my count, five of the Ten Commandments. First of all, he broke the Tenth Commandment when he coveted his neighbor's wife. Then he committed adultery with her, breaking that commandment. Then he stole her, took him, took her to himself, like had been done in the in the story here that the man had stolen the little ewe lamb from his neighbor. Then to cover that, he committed murder by ordering Joab to put Uriah in a lethal position on the battlefield. He murdered Uriah by the hand or by the sword of the Ammonites. And then, we didn't read the whole account, which is, this whole account is in the chapter previous, he had borne false witness. He had the audacity, David did, to lecture the messenger and Joab on battlefield strategy. After giving the order to put Joab, for Joab to put Uriah where he would be killed, David then said, well, why did you do that? That's not good battle strategy. And he was completely duplicitous. Bore false witness, told a lie, covered it up with a false pretense of he would have never done a thing like that. Why did you do that? What do you think of that? You know, sin is a complex. <laughs> sin is a syndrome. Sin is part, unfortunately, and sadly, of the warp and woof of our own souls since the fall of Adam. It's hard to get away with just a clean disobedience of one commandment. You end up violating more and more and more. And the worst thing that can happen to you is to never be made aware of your sin. To have no conviction. The worst thing that can happen to us is for God not to send the preacher. But God sent the preacher. He sent Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet came. And everything that David had done in his commission of this awful complex of sins is summed up there in that very last phrase of the very last verse of the previous chapter just before we read our text. But the thing that David had done displeased 
the Lord. That's it. It's not a matter of the technicality of all the commandments. We need to know them. We need to know what a violation of them really is from time to time. And by the way, if you want to know that, you need to read your standards of our church. Read the Westminster Standards. Not only the Confession of Faith, but get into the shorter catechism. Oh, better than that, look at the larger catechism. Because it spells out in question after question, what is a violation of the various commandments? How do we violate the commandment against adultery? How do we violate the commandment against murder and coveting and all of that? And I think that if you do that for me and find that, that listing in your standards and read it, you'll find at least one or two in each one of those commandments that you had no idea was a violation of that commandment. For example, did you know playing the lottery is a violation of the Tenth Commandment? And you see how and how so. But you know, it's not a matter of technically understanding the commandments, although we should. God doesn't try to make us all into lawyers. (laughs) But we are to get the gist of it. But here's the thing. It displeases the Lord. It is as the accusation that Nathan made from the lips of the Lord. In fact, he's actually coming from the Lord. He said, thus saith the Lord. He said, you have despised the word of the Lord. You have despised me, it says in the next verse. The word means you have held in contempt. You have um, insulted the Lord. And of course, you have not pleased Him at all. When you get right down to it, the relationship between you and God has to be a personal relationship. It's not a matter of having a codified list of things that you are to do and not to do. Now, I'm not bemoaning and the the commandments at all. I love the commandments. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation day and night. And I am thrilled when I read the commandments that the absolute standards of justice and righteousness and purity are delineated there. And there's a sense in which the commandments of God are a a picture and even a transcript of the character of God in His righteousness, holiness, justice, mercy, and all the rest of His great attributes. When we study the law, we're getting something of the conscience and the mind of God. So I do not in any way disparage the written code. In fact, I believe strongly that it has full three uses that we've mentioned before. All three of them, I believe, are valid biblical uses of the law. But when you get right down to it, it's a, it's a personal... Remember... Remember what God said at the very beginning. This is a man after my own heart. It was the heart of God that was out there and vulnerable and at stake. And David's violating of one half of the Mosaic Code in one fell swoop just crushed the heart of God. How could this man that I love so much, how could this man that loved me so much, 
and had worshipped me and served me and danced mightily before me and set up all of the wonderful things in Israel and led Israel in the right direction. It had been such a wonderful contrast to King Saul. How can this man hurt me like this? And that's what we do when we sin. We hurt God. We sin personally against Him. We hold Him in contempt. We despise Him. We, we, we walk away from Him. We ignore Him. David had become distant from God, cold and indifferent toward the Lord. And I'm telling you, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. And I don't care, I don't care how many wonderful victories you've had. And I don't care how much holiness you think that you have acquired in your life. You're still vulnerable to great sin. We all are. And some of us, in fact, do. Against all the light and against all the mercy of God, we still commit great sin. And it's a personal thing. Because God loves you. God's chosen you. He's redeemed you. He set you apart. He's declared you righteous in His sight. And then you sin. And I'm telling you, the believer can sin. And when he does, there are consequences. And that's what Nathan comes to tell David is some of these consequences. David, Nathan brings this little case before David, and some say it's a parable. It very well is, it is a parable, but I think it was an actual case because the king was the ultimate Supreme Court justice in his day, and Nathan the prophet was a, a, a uh, lawyer of the law. And I think that Nathan knew of this case and was bringing it to David for advice. Because it was presented to be a real thing. If it just been, if Nathan had come and said, let me tell you a story, I don't think David would have reacted by having anger greatly kindled against the man if he thought it was just a parable that had a little moral. I think it was a real case. And it was a horrible case. And David listened to it. It didn't take him long once he heard the facts to make his judgment. And he swore his oath. He, gave, he rendered his verdict as the Lord lives. This man shall pay. He deserves to die. This man deserves to die. What he did to that poor man, the oppression, the theft that was involved, the arrogance, the haughtiness, the greed. List the sins of this man and say, as David says, this man deserves to die. David sitting on the throne which eventually Jesus will sit on, renders a righteous judgment. This man deserves to die. And I'm telling you, he does deserve to die. The law had spelled that out. Let me tell you who else deserved to die. David. The law had said in both Leviticus and Deuteronomy that the adulterer and the adulteress, they both shall be put to death. There was a death penalty in Israel for doing what David had done with Bathsheba. And if there's justice in the throne room of the king, the verdict must be that David must die. And I'd like to submit to you this morning, as I said before, that every sin bears the death penalty. Every sin is a, an affront to God 
It is a stepping away from Him in a rebellious posture. It is a moving away from His love and His mercy and His his goodness. It's a stab into His heart. What sin really is. And as treason, it deserves the death penalty. In fact, the the Scriptures sum it up with the latter prophet Ezekiel preaching and saying, the soul that sins, it shall die. So, Nathan comes and looks at David and he says, you know the man you said that deserved death? You hear the man. I've heard old time preachers preach on this. They talk about old Nathan took his bony finger and pointed it right at the face of David. (laughs) I don't know whether Nathan did that or not. I've got a feeling Nathan really did love David, admired him. Remember, he told him, build the temple, build build the temple. Sounds like a great idea. But Nathan was a faithful prophet and he brought the word of the Lord. And in so doing, he talked about all the things. And he brings the word of the Lord. And the first thing the Lord does is he pours out a litany of what David, God had done for David. And we've seen every one of these points. He took him from the sheep. He anointed him to be head over a king over Israel and, of, and Judah as well. He delivered him out of the hand of, the, of Saul. He had given him the master's house. He had restored him. He had done all this stuff. And the Lord says, if that wasn't enough, I would have done more. The Lord's bountiful blessings are on the shelf waiting to be passed out. He's got plenty of mercy and grace to give. David could have had more, even with all that he had. He was the rich man. He didn't need to steal the little ewe lamb. He says, because you've despised the word of the Lord, and he spells out what he had done. We've been over it several times. You've taken Uriah's wife. You've killed him in the battle. You've despised me. Thus says, I will raise up evil against your house. That was the punishment. Think about that. It wasn't too long before this that Nathan the prophet had come to King David and talked about his house. The Lord said, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a family and a dynasty that will rule and reign on the throne of Israel forever. God had a vested interest in the house of David. The offspring, the descendants of David had received this special and unique honor that they would be the royal family in perpetuity, into eternity. And now the Lord pronounces a judgment upon the house. I'm here to tell you that the Lord can and will pronounce judgment upon His own people. His own flock. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. That's where we start. I have people inquiring for me from time to time. What can we do in society? Look how horrible society is. Look at what's going on in the nation. What's going? Let's start right here. Let's start in these four walls and get our life right before God and get the sins and the adultery and the lust and the covetousness and the murder and the hate out of our hearts and ask God to cleanse and purify us. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, is where the Lord puts it to His people. Judgment begins right here. And that's where the Lord began His punishments to David in the consequences of his sin. And because... This sin had been committed by David. It was going to be confined to David's house. 
David had introduced the sword into his dynasty. The murderous sword. And the murderous sword is going to take a toll on David like you would not believe. We won't read all of it and study all of it, but in the upcoming chapters we'll find that David has a daughter, beautiful daughter, has a son, a fine young man. But he, the son, rapes the daughter. And then in anger, one of the other sons kills that brother. And then later on, that brother leads a rebellion and he is killed by another brother. And eventually, that brother is killed by Solomon, who is another brother. All sons of David, four deaths by the sword and one broken and destroyed young woman. What awful consequences came to the house of David for what he had done. But let me point you to one last thing. And that is the Lord says, you did all of this in secret. I'm going to do it in public. And he did. Be sure your sin will find you out. Are there sins in your life that you have hidden? Habits, practices, thoughts, words, and deeds that you think nobody knows about? The Lord knows. That's the gist of our title this morning. In God's sight, all that David had done, God had been sitting there watching it. Heartbroken. But the Lord saw David in this great sin pattern, in this great apostasy, in this walking away, in this despising of the Lord's commandments, and despising of the Lord Himself. And the Lord said, I'm not going to let him keep on in his sin. And I'm going to tell you right now, That's a difference. God will not leave us in our sins. If we're His, He'll come get us. He'll come send a Nathan. Some way or another, you'll hear an old preacher one Sunday morning talking about sin and the Spirit of God will convict you and you'll begin to turn to the Lord. You'll confess your sins. Private sins are confessed privately. Public sins must be confessed publicly. But it is all in God's sight. God sees it all and knows it all. And He is the one that renders the judgment. This last thing that I want to notice is David did repent. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And most of us have gone to Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, the great penitential Psalms where David pours out his heart. Um, Just before the service, I was talking with um, Mark Davis, our senior pastor, and, and he pointed out one little thing. He said, That word that's used despised, how David despised the word of the Lord and how he despised the Lord himself. He said that word is the same word that's used over in the penitential Psalms where it says the Lord will not despise a broken heart. I'd never noticed that. I didn't realize it was the same Hebrew word. But it is. We may despise the Lord, but He will not despise a broken heart. And and we won't go into the particulars of repentance and confession of sin this morning, but I think you all are familiar with the basics of it. But here is the thing I want to see as I close. And Nathan said to David, here's the preacher talking now to the king again, the Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. All of that sin we talked about, the Lord in His mercy says, I've I've passed it by. I'm going to 
I'm going to deal with it in a special way. The full consequences of that sin, that is the death penalty is not going to come upon you, David. But notice the very next sentence. Nevertheless, because this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. They never get away from the personal, does he? You have scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. I think you know the story that the, the child that was born to Bathsheba of David did not live. This is one of these little shadows, one of these little types you see in the Bible. Here we have a son of David bearing the sins of David, paying the penalty of the sins of David. And that's precisely what happens in the plan of redemption. A son of David, Jesus Christ, bears the sins of His people. It'll be a thousand years before Golgotha's hill will be the scene of God's great atonement. But it'll happen. And it'll be a full atonement. A son of David will be a sin bearer. And this is exactly what Christ is to us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He bore our sins in His own body on the cross, on the tree. Christ died for our sins. Let us receive the forgiveness. Let the Spirit of God search your heart. Search me and try me and know me, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the path of everlasting life.